Let's uh, stand on and welcome Paul and Sue uh, to this uh, house today, to our meeting, and we're honour them for who they are. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's a full house. This is fun. Guess you just need bigger buildings. Yeah. Well, so it, actually, people always introduce me and say, hey, we're honored to have you. I always feel I'm more honored to be there like, than I am, if, if you know what I mean. I'm honored that people would invite me around the world to speak. I can't quite believe that, you know. You know, the best I used to be able to manage was, you know, run a prison and have a few prisoners cuss at me. Now people stand up and applaud me when I speak. It's kind of funny, really, but there we go. Um, yeah, Simon didn't give one of these away, so I can give one of these away. Has anyone actually got cancer in here right now? Anyone got cancer? Cancer-free room? Somebody with cancer, right back there. Can uh, Just keep your hand raised up. It's the lady just at the back there. Yeah, it's... Um, it's not just for people with cancer, that book. It's if uh, any, any battle, any struggle, anything that you're going through in life, he's a good God and he wants to kiss you and touch your life. And if you'll let him, you'll see what he does. And he did that for me. And uh, I might actually minister one particular thing in a minute out of it, which is about re-signing. Um, when I first got here on Friday morning, though, which is where I think I'm going to start for a minute, because I'm not 100% sure where I'll end up, but I want to start here. Number one, I was overwhelmed by a team, a staff team, that had so many stories of what God's doing in your town. And um, God's on the move. And this is, there is just fantastic, phenomenal stuff going on in this house. And, um, you know, this is a place that, that Sue and I are privileged to champion and say to people, hey, if you're anywhere near there, go, go to the King's Arms. Apart from the fact it sounds like a pub, it's... <laughs> it, God shows up, you know, there's something flowing other than ale, nothing wrong with the ale, but there's something flowing, so, um, but I was overwhelmed by that, I was overwhelmed by what you're doing, you're doing the stuff, you're seeing people saved on the streets, um, you know, your, your Rough Sleepers project here is, is phenomenal, and it's definitely um, impacting, um, and uh, I want to honor you for that, this is, uh, this is a great this is a great church. You know, sometimes people will say to us, they come out to Beth and they go, oh, we don't want to go back to England. You know, what's happening in England? It's like Sue, more than me, because she's often the one talking, will say, like, stop it. And starts listing places and going, if you live near there, go there. If you live near there, go there. And this is one of those places. And uh, I really do believe God's doing something really beautiful and, and wonderful here. Um, but then I had this really weird experience on Friday morning. Um, that I felt like there was a spirit of romance um, about to sweep across this church. I have honestly never said that out loud before, but I really did feel it, and I really do believe it. And I, I, I do believe that it is about guys finding girls and girls finding guys, and I know that's a dangerous thing for a preacher to say, but I believe it. You see, the, the original plan of God that was man should meet woman, you know, leave home, get married, have kids... Two of the greatest attacks that are taking place on the earth today are against heterosexual marriage and babies being born. They're, they're the two great attacks against, the, and I'm not going to go down those roads in terms of abortion and all that kind of stuff. I just want to promote the positive, which is we're meant to get married and we're meant to have babies. 
Like, those are the two original plans of God. You want to work out what, he's, what he started with? They're the two things. People often talk about original sin, but I like to talk about original design. I'm not really interested in original sin. It's, it's not really very original most of the time anyway. But I am interested in original design. I believe the spirit of romance is going to sweep over this place. And it's a key to you going to the next step as a house, as a ministry, as people. I believe that the enemy has been, has been limiting the resource of this place uh, by limiting people in marriage. For some reason, it's not a criticism. It's just something needs to break. And uh, I'm just declaring that. I'm not going to ask you to stand up if you're single and you're looking for a mate. I don't, I don't do that level of embarrassment personally. Um, you know, some of my colleagues do. I don't. But, but if that's you, I want you to receive it. And I, I want you to definitely say, if, if you struggle with commitment or choices, break that thing off of you. Just start declaring, I make good choices and I make good commitments because I believe something's about to happen. The, the other thing, yeah, you can applaud that. All the single people said amen. Uh, the other thing I really want to do is minister, because sometimes if I preach, I don't end up doing some things I feel that I'm meant to do at the end. Um, I, I just said to a couple of the team here, um, there's been an energy drain somehow here. I, I, I'm not there, again, I'm not saying something, but I can feel this in my spirit that there's been an energy drain, and I also know some circumstances, so this isn't all word of knowledge. And I don't believe it's because you've been doing something wrong. Uh, this is the picture I saw. It's like the rubber tree where, where they stick that thing in the side of the rubber tree and the sap flows out, the rubber flows out. Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense at all? I feel like some of you have had that spiritually, physically, relationally, and uh, emotionally, that you feel drained of energy, and it doesn't matter what you do, nothing seems to put it right. I, I, I believe that it ends today. I believe it stops today. I felt like when I sat down, I could preach on it. If I, if I, like if I, I feel it strongly enough to go, I could just preach on this one thing, but I don't want to. So if that's you, if you, if you, no matter what you do, resources are drained from you, business deals don't work, physically you, you just, you, you're lacking energy. Maybe some of you have even got some of these weird diseases that cause you to feel like you have no energy. Um, relationally, it's like however much you pour into relationship, you don't ever feel like you get anything back. Any of that, any energy drain, body, soul, spirit, and wallet, as I always call it. I think it's a mistake in the Bible. It should be body, soul, spirit, and wallet. But, um, and relationships, if that's you, I want you to stand. I feel really strongly about this. I believe it ends today. Uh, I believe it just ends today. This is a marker in the sand. If you, if you have calendars, diaries, or whatever, or you, you know, just write, write things, write on the wall of your house, if you like. It ends today. This stops. The enemy does not have a right to drain you in the way that he has. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And I want to encourage you, start making declarations. Start declaring over what that thing is that you need breakthrough in and start declaring the exact opposite of what you've seen. If, if you're always tired, start saying, I'm always full of energy. If, you, if you're struggling financially, say, I, I am abundantly provided by a good God. If relationships drain you, just say, I am a magnet for the best relationships on the planet. Whatever it is, just start declaring the opposite spirit. Uh, and it may even be that some of you start a season of declaration. If you think declaration's weird, just read the prayer book. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. It's called liturgy. That's what it is. God birthed the earth with a declaration. Let there be light. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way he works. There's a short stage there. It's deceiving. Anyway, I thought there was the same amount that side as this side. But anyway, 
Start declaring. Put some words on your lips right now. Just put some words on your lips. I might go up there in a minute. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm limited, you know. Start declaring. Put some words on your lips. And Father, I declare right now that there are relationships that are restored right now in people's lives. That they become magnets for relationships. Magnets for people who are drawn to them that pour into their lives. That physically, I declare right now that those in here particularly who have some of those odd things like, you know, ME, fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases, where the body's attacking itself, any of those, today we draw a line in the sand. Today it is done. It is finished. It was paid for on the cross. There is no need for us to strive to attain this. Jesus' blood paid for it 100%. Finances. Finances start to turn around. Where it all seems to have gone one way, they literally turn around. Unusual circumstances. Money appearing in bank accounts. Checks that are sent to people that they weren't expecting. Refunds. Bonuses. Stuff changes from today. In the name of Jesus. Right now, start to receive it. Receive it. Some of you don't even believe that asking for, to be blessed by God is a legal thing to do. The Bible says, bless me, O God, bless me. Start to ask him, bless me, O God. Bless me with finance, resources, relationships, health, energy. Some of you, the emotional stuff, it's, it feels like always a bit topsy-turvy. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. It stops today. Emotional health begins today. In Jesus' name, right now, just receive it and begin a lifestyle of declaration. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry if I'm shouting. I went to Germany and spoke to a bunch of people, like 25,000, and nobody turned the volume control down afterwards. It's like, like, it's just like turn it down, man, worrying. I can't do it. But. All right, well, it's a privilege to be here. It really is. Um, it's Europe's time. I don't know whether you realize this. How many, how many of you really... This crowd over here, it's Europe's time. And here's, here's a kind of a mandate that I feel like I carry. I'm a European. Now, I know that's weird for us Brits, but I feel like something has to change. This isn't a political statement. This is a kingdom statement. This is our continent. This is the continent that he has put us in to, to see it one for Jesus. And, and I really do believe it. And I, I'll always be a Brit, and I'm always going to be English, and I'll always cheer England in the World Cup. Don't worry about that. I'm not going to suddenly start supporting Germany. But for kingdom purposes, I am a European, and it's not political. And, and you know, humorously, if I was to say to you now, turn to your Bible and go to the maps, which you don't get on an iPad, incidentally. <laughs> it's missing. But I did this in Germany. I've lost my maps. They're there somewhere. Anyway, if you turn to the maps at the back of your Bible, you will see a map. That map is basically Europe. It's from the east to Ireland. And, and I started looking at that map, and it occurred to me. The rest of the world has only had a revival, a reformation, and a renaissance because we had one first. Seriously, we had one first. If we hadn't had the original revival that happened as a result of Jesus being here, the rest of the world would not have tasted revival. It happened here first. And I have an increasing passion to stir up what's in us, what is in us in Europe. And here's what I want to just talk about. It's, it's a four-day conference. I'm going to hit it in about 25 minutes. But I feel like this is what I'm just meant to say and what I'm meant to release. It begins with this question. Next, There's a CD to give away up here, which is the whole of the first two minutes 
as a message. And it's this question, what time is it? What time is it on the earth? End time. It could be, but what time is it? You don't have to know the answer. You just buy the CD and you'll find out what I think. But here's the point. We live in the days of the greatest change and the greatest opportunity. And times were important in the Bible. In fact, the wise men were those who understood the times. Here's the problem. We are allowing ourselves to be told what time it is by the press, by the media, by the fear mongers, instead of us as believers determining what the time is. The wise men found Jesus because they were looking at stars and they understood the times. Jesus rebuked the disciples. He said, you know it's red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky at morning, shepherd's warning, but you don't understand the spiritual times. In the book of Esther, when the king wanted to know what to do with his wife, he summoned the wise men who understood the times. And the sons of Issachar, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, were those who understood the times and knew what to do. I believe it's important for us to understand the times. Yet it may be, there may be an element of it which is end times and I could preach down that road without any trouble. But before he comes back, there's some serious work to do and I believe that that work requires us to understand what time it is. And in two years' time, it will be October the 31st, 2017, will be the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That should give us some pretty interesting clues maybe about some things that are happening. So what time is it? And it, it started me on this journey as I began to think, what time is it? How well do I understand the times? Uh, this message is basically about knowing who I am, knowing what time it is, and knowing what to do. You see, if you don't know what time it is, you don't know what to do. If you don't know what time it is in your business, you don't know what to do. Literally, I mean, you really don't know what to do if you don't understand the time. If you don't understand what's happening economically, if you don't understand what's happening with your product, you will not know what to do, so what time is it? And I believe we as believers in, in this day and age need to understand what time it is, and we live in the days of the greatest change. We live in the days of the greatest opportunity, and I believe we live in the, day, the, the days of the greatest access to creativity that this world has ever known. That's what day we live in. So what are we going to do with that? How are we going to react? How are we going to respond to that statement that we live in the days of the greatest change? You know it's the days of the greatest change. I mean, I'm walking around with a Star Trek watch on my wrist that people didn't even think was possible when I was a kid and watching it on the TV. And I could have a telephone call with my friends in America right now from my wrist. It's crazy. We live in the days of the greatest change. It's all around us and there's an appetite for change. And the corporate world understands change. There are, there are thousands of people who are teaching change management, strategic planning, etc., etc., in the corporate world. But the church, well, in some respects, we're still sitting in an agricultural age, having the times of church suitable for our dairy farmers so that they can milk their cows before and after church. And there aren't any dairy farmers in our church. There's a bunch of people who drive into a city, you know, five days a week, and they probably need a different way of doing church. They, they, they just need some different responses. So what time is it? Understanding the time. We live in the days of the greatest change. I'll, I'll maybe come back to that. We also live in the days of the greatest opportunity. The next billion people will be born on the planet in the next 12 to 15 years. City population is now 3.5 billion of the earth's population. Half the earth live in cities. And the corporate world's worked it out. The corporate world is studying population shift, population increase. But are we? Have we stopped to look at that? You see, 
One billion people will be born in the next 12 to 15 years. I'll tell you what I think that means. We need some really good youth pastors and children's pastors because there's going to be a billion youth on the planet. But most of the church still gives children's pastors and youth pastors a part-time job on the way to something better. It needs to end. We need children's pastors and youth pastors for life who become the best. What other career on the planet does this? Have you, have you ever heard of a pediatrician who trains to be a pediatrician and says, when I get really good at this, they're going to let me work on geriatrics. That's what we do in the church though. Children's social workers don't graduate to adult. Primary school teachers don't graduate to university professors necessarily. But in the church, oh, it's just a part-time job. Doesn't matter, they're just our kids. No, they're the next generation of our children and our young people. See, if we understand the times, we'll know what to do. We will know what to do. We live in the days of the greatest change, the greatest opportunity. And we live in the days, I believe, of the greatest creativity. And it's led me down a road. If any, anybody particularly want this? Somebody's hand goes up really quickly. There you go. Um, it's led me to these three themes, which I believe belong to us. They're Europe's. I believe this with all my heart. And it begins here. In 12th to 14th century, we had that incredible season, the most incredible season of man's creativity to date, called the Renaissance. The word Renaissance actually means born again. We should pay attention to something that means born again. It might be significant for us. And here's what I think. Um, here's here's my, my thinking on this. I believe it is time for another renaissance. I believe it's time for a personal renaissance and a corporate renaissance. If you, uh, if you study Ezekiel um, at all, and most of you will probably know about this, there's, there's a picture of a river. Ezekiel 47, there's a river. The river flows out of the doors of a temple, yes? Little trickle gets deeper, gets deeper, gets deeper. People are jumping in, people are swimming. There's fish, there's trees, there's healing. There's a whole lot of life going on. But it starts in a temple. This fascinates me and caused me to ask a question. I have a slightly analytical brain. It's quite creative at times, but it's analytical as well. The question I had was, what kind of temple creates a river? Because that would be really important to me. If I could work out what kind of temple creates a river, and I haven't got time to go into all of it now, but it's basically this, the picture of the temple in Ezekiel. If you go back four chapters to Ezekiel 43, verse 10, the picture of the temple is a temple that is full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now that's the temple. I can prove it, and it's actually the same word is used to describe a temple that was used to describe Lucifer when he was created. Now here's what's happened. When Lucifer was created, Lucifer fell. When Lucifer fell, man fell. And when man fell, the purpose of beauty fell. And beauty got perverted. And a beauty that was given to man to point to God, Lucifer took to cause people to look to him. And that's why in Romans we read that we exchange worshipping the creator for the created. And I believe it's time for the restoration of beauty. Either Dostoevsky or Solzhenitsyn, one of the two great Russian authors, wrote this. Beauty is the battlefield on which God and Satan war for the soul of man. Now, this is why it's important, though, because we, we should be the most beautiful place on the planet. We should be the birthplace of creativity. We should be the most beautiful church and the most beautiful people on earth. We should be attracted to the world and point the world to God. But beauty got perverted and it's become shallow, it's become temporary, and it's largely become sexual. 
And that isn't what beauty is meant to be. The Greeks, and the Greek word for beauty is the word aura, H-O-R-A, from which we get the word hour, H-O-U-R, in other words, time. And for the Greeks, beauty means being in one's finest hour, which is good news to those of us that have passed our 21 Hollywood best days. Like beauty is being in one's finest hour, which means my most beautiful days are yet to come, which is good news when I look in the mirror. Beauty is being in one's finest hour, which means the death of Jesus on the cross is the most beautiful moment in all of history because the finest one had his finest hour and therefore it is the most beautiful moment in all of history. And my my point is really this. We need a personal renaissance and we need a corporate renaissance. It's time for the church to be beautiful again. It's time for us to be, figuratively speaking, the Esther and the king raises the scepter and invites the bride in to give some advice on how to do life on earth. We should be beautiful. And, and the renaissance, of course, so much of it pointed to God. So much of it was to God be the glory. But the tragedy is that the renaissance was the birthplace of secular humanism when we said that we did it without God. And it's time for a renaissance, it's time for our cathedrals to be beautiful and be filled with power and worship and the presence of God. And I believe it's time. Now personally, you need a personal renaissance because one of the keys to your, um, your success, if you like, on life is to discover what's beautiful to you. What do you love? What's beautiful, which I think relates to this spirit of romance over this place. Because I believe that the Lord is going to reveal to many of you what you love, what is beautiful to you. And you are going to realize that in discovering that uh, is one of the great keys to your destiny. Because so many of us have been raised in, in the wrong kind of mindset. We've been raised to perform. And and because we haven't discovered what we love or what's beautiful to us, we've been either raised in an absence of love, therefore we've performed for it, or we've been raised in a presence of fear or punishment, and therefore we've performed to avoid it, and we haven't actually been given permission to stop and go, what do I love? What do I love to do? And we need a personal renaissance, because we live in the days of the greatest potential for creativity. This planet and the opportunities on this earth have never, ever been presented to us like this. And the psalmist, Psalm 27, he says this, one thing I ask, that I may seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and there behold your beauty. What's beautiful to you? Because if you don't discover what's beautiful to you, you will not reveal to the world the peace of God that he put in you to reveal. It will remain hidden. And some of you, it's science. Some of you, it's mathematics. Some of you, it's art. Some of you, it's creativity. Some of you, it's loving on people. Some of you, it's being a doctor and healing people, nursing people, caring people, teaching people. It doesn't matter what it is. Just discover it. Because you see, what kind of rivers, what kind of temples create rivers? Ones that are full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, and your body is a temple. And out of your body flows a river of living water. You see, temples create rivers. What kind of temples create rivers? Ones that are full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So discover what is beautiful to you. And so it's time for a renaissance. I'm hammering this. I told you it's a four-day conference. But I'm just hitting it because I feel like there's a few points for different people. And I'm just going to go for it and we'll see what happens. So it's time for a renaissance. Everyone okay with that? Personal, corporate. These are the days in which we live. And it's time for a renaissance that doesn't stop giving glory to God. But that never stops giving glory to God. Because it's all about him. You know the problem with many of the great artists on the world today, in the world today who don't know God? 
They struggle. They have this artistic genius. And the problem is that their art becomes an idol and they become gods and they don't know how to point to God and they whirl around and they end up dying of drug overdoses and alcohol dependency in New York flats. And that's why when people like Heath Ledger and Whitney Houston die and Robin Williams die, it breaks my heart and it breaks my family's heart because what's missing is not their art but the God that they were meant to point their art towards. And if we could just introduce them and show them the reason why they were given this incredible talent. It's the key. It's one of the great keys. And secondly, we live in the days of the greatest opportunity, which for me means revival. And revival, if you like, is the river. You see, the temple is the renaissance, the beauty, the creativity. The revival is the river, this river that flows from the temple. Your body is a temple of the living God. And out of your belly, Jesus said, should flow rivers, rivers of living water. And we need personal revival and we need corporate revival. We must have a personal revival. I'm in the middle of a crazy, the craziest adventure of my life that I never dreamed would happen to me. But even that should encourage some of you because at 57, he's opening doors to me that I didn't even think I would dare asking to ask to open. But in 2012, I was given a prophetic word that I would do crusades accompanied by signs and miracles, and I would see many people won to Jesus. And I can tell you, up until 2012, no one had ever called Paul Mamoring an evangelist. Nobody. But something started to happen. As a result of that word, I went to Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism. It was one of the most remarkable five days of my life. I sat in a room with 99 evangelists and Paul Mamoring. Really. One wall, it's about the size of that, is one picture of two million people in a crusade in Africa. And you just sit there and look at it and go, oh my word, that's absolutely amazing. But what happened to me in the middle of that week was that Reinhardt preached his gospel message. And the only way I can put it is this, I fell in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I've been saved a while, but I fell in love with the gospel that day. And here's one of the problems why we need a personal revival. Many of us have thought that the gospel was for the evangelists. We kind of left it there. We've even kind of, you know, left that language. Thought, oh, anyone who talks about the gospel, they're the evangelists. They're the people who go out on the street. They're talking about preaching the gospel. And this needs to stop because every one of us needs a personal revival. Every one of us needs to realize the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel isn't just about notches, numbers of people saved. The gospel is the good news that you carry. But here's the problem. We've, we've marginalized those evangelists. We've kind of put them in a box and said they look like this. They're a little bit crazy. They're a little bit fearless. They go out all hours. They go into dark places and they'll tell anybody about Jesus and they take crazy risks and then there's the rest of us that are kind of like, yeah, you know, I wasn't wired that way. Well, I'm not wired that way particularly either, to be honest with you. But my mistake was that thinking that they're the ones who carry the gospel and the rest of us don't. And some of you here, it's easier for me to preach here because you, you know uh, some of my culture you know, that, that I'll tap into. But N.T. Wright, anyone an N.T. Wright fan? A few of you are N.T. Wright fans. Well, if you don't like reading, just Google N.T. Wright speaking to Google. Really, he addressed Google staff. The radical theologian addressed Google staff, but he told the most amazing story, which for me has changed me. And he, he's, um, he's in America in 2003, and uh, apologies to the front, my front row American friend, but um, he was in America and England had just won the World Cup. Apologies also to any Australians in the room because it's not gonna be nice for you either. But, um, but he's in America, we've just won the World Cup. 2003 Rugby World Cup, Johnny Wilkinson's last kick of the game. He has good news, it was a good day. Maybe this is prophetic, maybe we'll do it again this year, we'll see. But, 
The last kick of the game, no, no TV, his daughter calls him, we won the Rugby World Cup, Dad. N.T. Wright's walking around, he's got good news, he's an Englishman in America, we won the Rugby World Cup. You know, we don't often win that stuff, let's be honest. 66, the Soccer World Cup, we just got the ashes back this summer. You know, these are rare moments, we have to savour them, us, us Englishmen. He's there in America with good news. He's looking around for someone to share the good news because good news is no fun if you can't share it, especially sporting good news, you know? Like, who can I tell? He's looking around and all he can find is Americans. He's like, to the Americans, rugby is foolishness. Like, it's just a joke, you know? They don't understand it, they don't get it. So he's like, I've got good news. I've got Americans over here. To them, it's foolishness. And then he finds one person who understands the game of rugby. The problem is they were an Australian. And to the Australian, the good news was offensive. But the point is, he still had good news. And the problem is that many of us have held back because we're afraid of seeing, be, seeming foolish or we're afraid of being offensive. But Paul said, it's foolishness to some, it's offense to others, but it's still good news. We have good news. We have good news. And there are so many things that get in the way of us really stepping in to partaking in revival. We're held back. You know, we, we think that, you know, the evangelists, typically, they've got this crazy testimony. You know, I was in prison and, I, and God came to me, came through the window. You know, my drug addiction ended. You know, he set me free. And we, we talk about them. We say they're radically saved. And we put these lines up that go, oh, well, I wasn't. I just got saved at my dad's deathbed. So that's just, you know, I've been a good Christian all my life. I've done the right thing. But the radically saved ones, they're the ones who go out and save radically. Well, I have news for you. You were saved from hell. That's really radical. It doesn't get more radical than that. This is good news. We have good news. And it doesn't matter whether it's foolishness to some or offensive to others. It does not dilute that we won the World Cup. It's still good news. And we need a personal revival. We need to step into our place of personal revival so that we can become revivalists. And revivalists are people who bring life where there is death and light where there is darkness, full stop. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're preaching to 25,000 people. It means that we walk into a room and we see darkness and we bring light. We see death and we bring life and we bring hope. And every one of us needs to step into this place of personal revival, of falling in love with this once again and realizing that the stories that Jesus told were because he had an assignment. He had an assignment to reveal the Father. That was his assignment. He told the, the story of the prodigal son and the dad and the elder brother for one reason. I want to tell you what my dad looks like. We have good news. We sung it. He's a good, good father. And that's what, it's, so, it's, it's such an exciting time to be alive. We're alive at such a time as this. And something's happening in Europe. There is something stirring across Europe. I don't have time to tell you a lot of stories, but there is something seriously stirring. I want to encourage you. Have a personal revival. Step into it. Everything that you thought was for someone else, embrace it for you. The greatest enemy of my life has been me comparing myself with other people and losing the fight every time. I've lost it every time, and I'm stopped doing it these days. It's not 100%. I don't want you to think I'm perfect at it, but I've stopped doing it. I've stopped thinking it will be someone else that gets to do that. I've started to believe that actually, no, it's me. And I was born for this. And this is you. And you were born for it. You have good news, what Simon was saying about Redeemer. It's good news. You know, the, the gospel, 
when, when they used the word gospel, when Jesus said gospel, the hearers heard this. That is an announcement of good news. It was a word used in the culture of the day when a new king was put on the throne, when, when, when an old king was overthrown, when, when you know, tyranny was ended. It was good news. They were, it, that was a gospel announcement. It would be, there's a new king. The old king is dead. There is a new way of life today, and there is a promise of a better future. That's what the word gospel meant. And the gospel is good news. And we have a good father, and we have good news, and we've been radically saved, and we get to carry good news. It's time for a personal revival, but I believe it's time for a corporate revival. It's time for us to stop looking at Europe and going, oh, it's a dark place. It isn't. There's places like this happening all the way across Europe. That, that I stood in Nuremberg, which 70 years ago, you know, was the scene of the Nuremberg trials, that before that was the scene of Hitler addressing his armies, and we got to stand there this summer and worship Jesus, 25,000 people singing a cappella, Jesus. And that's happening right the way across this great continent, the birthplace of civilization, the, the cradle of civilization, the birthplace of, of Christianity. This is our continent. This is ours. And we are being given an opportunity at such a time as this to carry the good news. And, th and thirdly, it's Reformation time. We have a Pope and an Archbishop of Canterbury who when they meet together, laugh together. Who when they meet together, talk about what it means to be saved, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Oh sure, we can have a great discussion and we can stumble over things in both the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. But I'm not interested in stumbling anymore. I am interested in celebrating what unites us. You see, we need a renaissance that gives glory to God. We need a revival that never ends. And we need a reformation that unites and doesn't divide. And I believe that's where we're heading for. I've just been invited to an event in Munich which involves bishops and cardinals. I'm not sure quite how that happened, but it's happened. Uh, and it's like, what's going on? He's uniting his bride. He's coming back for one bride. That's it, the spirit and the bride. It doesn't say the spirit and 10,000 brides say come, Lord Jesus. It says the spirit and the bride say come, Lord Jesus. And it's time for a united bride. It's time for a reformation. You see, the days of the greatest change, we live in those days, and reformation is change. Reformation is your job description. I don't know whether you know that, whether you've checked out your Christian job description lately. Your Christian job description is to reveal him by being creative, by revealing the beauty that is in him through you. Your job description is revival, is to preach the good news, and your God job description is reformation. It's change, transform, redeem, restore, repent, rebuild. That's your job description. The Bible is full of it. And it's time for a reformation. There are three tenets of the Reformation. You know them, three principles, whatever language you want to use. They were, they were salvation by faith alone. There's no, there's no argument, as I understand it right now, between the Catholics and the Lutherans on that. There are letters between the two of them that have confirmed it. There is scripture alone. That's been settled. But I'll tell you one thing remains. The priesthood of all believers. It remains. And somehow I ended up carrying this as one of the messages of my life. Because we've had this division in the church. 
We've had this thing where the guy or girl with the microphone is somehow a superior Christian and the rest of us go out to work all week and we muddle through and we do the best we can and then we come to church and we, and we are Christians on Sundays and we're valued for the tithe that we put in the bucket, the time we spend in meetings and the title that we carry in the church, but we haven't been valued for what we do in the county hall or, or, or in the school or in the hospital or in our homes because somehow there's been this divide and it's time for the divide to end. There should be no secular sacred divide. There should be none such thing. There is no secular sacred divide in God. There's no natural supernatural. There's no secular. There's no sacred. There's no us and them. It's all one thing. And one of the things that I'm believing for and praying for is that the army of the church will rise up. You see, if we believe that the people that are paid to church are more important Christians than the rest of us, then that's 97% of people who go to church consider themselves less valuable than everyone else, which means we have a 97% disempowered army. That's plain wrong. The job of the people at the front of churches is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the job. It's not to be the man of God. It's to raise up men and women of God and to send them out into the world to do the works of ministry, to bring renaissance, to bring revival, and to bring reformation. It doesn't all happen here. Notice the river. It gets deeper the further from the temple it flows. It doesn't get deeper the closer to the temple. That's bureaucracy. That's when everything goes back to headquarters. We're not meant to be a headquarters. We're meant to be the place out of which life flows and pollutes the rest of the world. And I believe that one of the things that he is doing right now is he is changing the way we think about what we do. That I said eight years ago in a pulpit in a very supernatural church, surgery is not a second-class healing. And I meet doctors and, and nurses who come to me and they say, you changed my life with that one statement. Wow, I go, really? I changed your life with that? Yeah, we thought somehow it wasn't quite as valuable as laying hands on the sick. And it applies to every one of us. Whatever it is you do is your ministry. Exodus 3.12, you will know that it is I who sent you when you come back to this mountain and serve me. And to the Jews, to the people of Israel, whatever you do unto the Lord is worship. So just do it unto the Lord. Just do what you do unto him. Whatever it is you do, you wait on tables, you serve, you cook, you clean, you build, you design, you heal. It doesn't matter what you do. Do it as unto the Lord and it becomes your act of worship. And you'll know that God has sent you when you keep on coming back to that and realizing that this is what you were born to do on the planet. What time is it? It's Renaissance time. What time is it? It's revival time. What time is it? It's reformation time. And this is ours to do. For such a time as lived, there's never been such a moment in history. Never been a moment like this. Never been a season of this kind of change. Population increase not since Adam was a boy and they went from two to six as the earth tripled in one lifetime. Those of you in your 60s, the earth's population has tripled in your lifetime. It's never happened before. Change. We live in the days of the greatest change. It's never happened like this before. The wheel lasted us for about 5,000 years before we did anything else to it. Now, we move from one thing to the next year by year. Who knows what we'll be wearing on our wrists soon? Like, we don't know, do we? We live in the days of the greatest change. And this is our time. 
It's our time. This belongs to us. The question is, will we grab hold of it? Or will we live in the past? Or will we live in failure? Will we live in regret? Will we live in disappointment? Or will we live in hope and believe, as my wife keeps on saying to me, probably every week, he's either who he says he is or he isn't. And if he isn't, I'm wasting my time. I believe he is who he says he is. He's coming back for a glorious bride. It's the heart of God that all men be saved. That's his heart. That's his desire. And this is our time. This is our moment. And you happen to be situated in a great church. Seriously, a great church which is poised for significant impact in this region and across Europe. And I believe it with all my heart. You're positioned here, poised here. And the question is, will we take our place? Will we take up our responsibility? I, some of what I've done has scared me. Walking on a stage to preach to 25,000 people, I thought would scare me, but it actually didn't scare me anywhere near like I thought it would. And I think it was because of the realization that I was born for this. And what I want you to know is that you were born for this. You were born for this moment. You were born to make a difference. You were born to see Bedford transformed into a place that people come to and say, this place feels different. I don't know what's going on. It just feels different. What is it? And you start saying, what's the presence? And they say, what do you mean by the presence? It's like, it's just different. God loves this place. God's here. God's amongst us. God's moving. God's changing things. This is our time. This is our opportunity. And we live in such exciting times, and this is such an exciting house. It really is. I want to I close by ministering in a couple of different ways. I want to start, if in any way you felt you've missed it, like you feel disappointed, you're living in more in regret than you are in hope. You know, regret is the greatest enemy of the testimony. If you carry a testimony, regret's the enemy of it. I went to Brazil last year with my youngest son for the World Cup, and he wanted to go and see Christ the Redeemer statue. And I probably wouldn't have bothered to go if it wasn't him saying he wanted to go, and Sue sorted out all the tickets. And when I came back, I realized that if I hadn't gone to that statue, I would, I would have lived in regret. And whatever good happened on the trip, somehow there'd have always been this nag that goes, I didn't go to Christ the Redeemer. Now, I did go to Christ the Redeemer, and God spoke to me there. But my point is this, if you live more in regret than you do in the power of the testimony of what God's done in your life, I want you to stand. If you feel like that's where you live, you're living in a place of disappointment, you feel that you missed it, you've got some sort of regret going on, I want to invite you to stand. Because I feel like God wants to end this. And age isn't a limit. I'm 57 and I'm just starting on a new career of being an evangelist in stadiums. So don't worry about age, forget that thing. My, my most beautiful days are ahead of me, I just proved it to you from the Bible. My finest hour is yet to come, and it's got nothing to do with my hairline. Yep, it's all about the change. Just begin, just begin to put that regret, just put it to one side. Just, just start to put it to one side. Don't live in regret. It's the enemy of the testimony, of the great things that God's done in your life. They're masked by this regret. Just right now, just dump them. Just drop them on the ground. Just leave them there. They're weighing you down. Father, I ask right now that everyone standing here right now will step into a new place of hope, of expectation, of believing their best days are yet to come. I declare it over you. Your greatest days are yet to come. Resources, people, opportunities, they're coming your way.
And there's a chapter in Kisses from a Good God. And uh, I'm going to pray this over you, but I also want, if there's anyone here and you've had sickness or you've been through a divorce or you've been through a trial, you've been through something like that, what happens when you go through, and it happened for me with cancer, is you lose the, the top 20% or something of your dreams and visions. You, your, your eyes drop down and you're not looking up. And my very good friend Steve Witt stepped in my office several years ago. If you need to go and get your kids, you can go and get your kids, by the way, because I realize I'm just about on the 12 o'clock. But my very good friend Steve Witt walked into my office one day and prayed a one-word prayer over me, and it was re-sign. And I realized that day that I needed to re-sign to the fullness of what God has for me. And cancer and sickness and divorce and all those kind of things will rob you of your dreams and visions. So if you're in that category, I want to invite you to stand with everyone else because you're going to re-sign as well. But, but this is re-signing. Now, you can go serious on this if you like and grab a pen and write in the front of your Bible. But it's August the 30th, isn't it? Today you re-sign to the fullness of what God has for you. See, there is no resignation in the Bible. It doesn't exist in the Bible. It's a spirit. There's a spirit of resignation. Now, I think what's interesting is that it feels as though people aren't thinking about retiring anymore. It's like, now, some of it is because people have to work longer, but it just feels like people are working longer. I believe there's something kingdom in this. So Father, I ask right now that you would accept the re-signing letters of everybody, not the resigning, not the resignation, but the re-signing to the fullness of what God has for everyone as they stand here. That we're disease, sickness, divorce, disappointment has robbed them, even where regret has robbed them. I pray right now that they will start to see again. Their eyes will be lifted up. They will start to, as the psalmist says, I lift my eyes unto the hills from whence my help comes. That's where it comes from. So Father, I pray right now that you would restore hope, dreams. Some of you have prophecies. They've been in your back pocket for so long that you've forgotten what they say. Pull them out. Read them. Look at the dreams. Look at the promises. Is. Look what God has, has said. And Father, I ask right now that these will know that today they re-signed to the fullness of what God has for them. And I bless them in Jesus' name. And everyone else can stand. I've, um, I've prayed this in many different ways now, but... Um, in 1997, I stood on the streets of Buenos Aires, Argentina. I'd just been given a fax to tell me that I'd been put in charge of a prison, my first in-charge position. I had been wanting to be in the call of God in, in, in a ministry all of my life. I was called when I was 17 years of age. I worked as a nurse and a prison governor, and I was at times frustrated. But in Argentina, I put my call down because Claudio Friesen put his hands on my shoulders and said, Paul, go back to England and run that prison for God. And I can tell you that's the first time that anyone's ever said to me, you're commissioned to do a secular job. Hate the word, but you know what I'm talking about. And I, I just want to pray, you can receive this, do with it what, what, you, what you want. I would typically have just had individuals stand up, but I just want to pray this corporately. That it's not about elders, it's not about ministers, it's not about pastors. It's about all of us because Isaiah 61 says, you will be known as ministers of our God and priests of our King. We are all ministers. We're all in full-time ministry. Whether it's Renaissance, Reformation, Revival, whatever your job is, whatever your career is, we are all in full-time ministry. And so I just declare over you and bless you. Go back 
and run your prison for God. And if you say to me, you don't run a prison, I'll tell you, you might as well, if you don't believe it's the call of God on your life. If you don't believe it's a legitimate expression of your skills, your gifts, your talents, and your resources. And I bless you, and I commission you to be glory carriers, to be revivalists, to be reformers, and to be Renaissance men and women who usher in the greatest days of this earth getting ready for our king to return for his one beautiful bride. I bless you and commission you in Jesus' name. Amen.